This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Welcome to Critics at Large, a podcast from The New Yorker. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And I'm Alex Schwartz. Hello. Hey. Hi, Alex. Hi, Hi guys. We are all staff writers at The New Yorker, and each week on this show, we make sense of what's happening in the culture right now and how we got here. So, <laughs> I, like many of us, I am sure, have found it very hard, if not impossible, <laughs> to look away from the story of one George Santos. He's out of there today lying. Congressman George Santos was voted out by two-thirds of the House. with Diva down. Diva down. <laughs> you know, George Santos, for, for anyone who is not in the know, please reveal yourselves and, and let us give you a prize if you have never heard his name before, um, is of course the now ex-congressman from New York's 3rd Congressional District who was voted out of office by his colleagues earlier this month. That in light of the expulsion of the gentleman from New York, Mr. Santos, the whole number of the House is now 434. After the House Ethics Committee released a pretty damning report about him, he's facing, let's see if I can just rattle him off, federal charges for conspiracy, wire fraud, falsification, identity theft. And underlying all of this, of course, is the fact that almost everything the man said over the course of his career in politics, and it turns out well before, perhaps <laughs> even since birth, has turned out to be a lie. He loves lie. He loves. He loves. <laughs> he loves to lie. Can you just give me a couple of your favorite Santos lies? Of course, I have to step up and say that his his Jewish roots, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, his falsified Jewish roots are my my favorite. That's he a has good claimed one. that um, his mother on his mother's side, he is uh, he has Jewish heritage, which is completely uh, unfounded. Later, he backtracked a little bit and said that he didn't say he was Jewish. He said he was Jewish, <laughs> which is kind yeah. of amazing. I like the. <laughs> The, the fact that he claimed to be a uh, Baruch College uh, volleyball <laughs> star and yeah. never never played the sport as far as we can tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, he replaced. He got two knees. Knee replacement. Knees. Knee replacement. Because he just gave it all. On, on the, <laughs> he left it all left, on the court. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. What about you, Alex? Oh, well, you know, I, of course, also like the Jew-ish. Um, as a New York City native, I did enjoy his total fabrications about where he went to high school, which is something that weirdly does mean a lot to people in New York City and that yet does. is absolutely irrelevant outside of it. That's true. Um, and his his audacious mis- mispronunciation of the words Horace Mann. Um, How did he pronounce it? I didn't hear that. Horace Mann? No. Horseman? Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, again, hard to get wrong. But if you do, go big. And, <laughs> right. and big he's gone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as, as, really. as the three of us prove, this is a story that has been very difficult not to watch. Yeah. You know, it's juicy. It's salacious. It's absolutely idiotic, if I may say. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard to believe. In short, it's great <laughs> entertainment. And part of that, I will venture to say, is that Santos embodies a familiar archetype in American culture – that of the scammer. 
Um, you know, I do think this camera is a classic American figure, someone who rolls into town, has no history, no past, and suddenly everyone is dancing behind him in tune, <laughs> ready to do whatever he requires. And in the case of George Santos, give quite a bit of money mm. um, to personal causes. So today we're talking about George Santos and tracing this archetype of the scammer across the culture, specifically American culture. The scammer, I think, is a very American figure for all kinds of reasons having to do with the specifics of this country's history and its identity. And the big question I have for us today is, why are we so entertained by scammers? And does that just make us part of the con? So to start out with, let's talk a bit about Santos and how he embodies the figure of the scammer. I mean, can you guys remember what you thought when the extent of his lies became clear? Uh, I remember the the Jewish thing, and I remember the volleyball thing, and a bunch of lies that were sort of comically rolled out. And then I think the big event was when on the floor of the house before the State of the Union address, Mm -hmm. Mitt Romney, like, goes to him and, like, hems him up. And is like, you can see him, he's, like, berating him. Like, we later learned uh, that the report was that he was telling him, like, I think he was like, you you should not be here. Like, Mitt Romney and all his, like, decorum and institutional sense, uh, affection for the whatever, the great totem that is Congress. He was like, I think he, I'm pretty sure he said, uh, you're a sick puppy. (laughs) <laughs> I'm pretty sure he called him, which is like for Mitt Romney. That's oh like, my God. Tell him about his mom or something. Like, that's like the most disgusting. It's as if he had calumny. taken off both of his gloves and slapped him in the face. That's right. Wow. That was yeah. when I would like realize that it was a thing. And that's when people started asking, like, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like for me, that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is a character that I should be paying more attention to. <laughs> I was just like, okay. This is going to get fun, <laughs> is I guess what I thought. I know. It feels that to me, at least, that he's been with us for so long that right. when looking at some timelines of uh, the public activities of George Santos, I was shocked to realize that really this has been a bit over a year. That's right. Um, but, you know, certainly the culture has squeezed as much much juice as there is to squeeze mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out of the Santos experience. Right. We're now in the part of the Santos story. We're in the postscript, I guess, Mm -hmm. because he's no longer in Congress. And yet what has been really interesting for me to see in the past few very short weeks is the way that the Santos story has been funneled directly into the content pipeline. I mean, I did enjoy, I will say, Bowen Yang's cold open this past weekend on SNL as Santos. Very funny. Very good. This entire country has been bullying me just because I'm a proud gay thief. (laughs) What else is new? And then being whisked away to a piano (laughs) where he does a version of Elton John's um, Candle in the Wind, now called Scandal in the Wind. Of course. And it seems to me I lived my life like a scandal in the wind. Never knowing who to cling to when the law closed in. You know, just because he's out of Congress does not mean that the fun has to end. Over the weekend, it was hinted that he might be on Dancing with the Stars, George Santos might be. Yes. I think he himself may even be encouraging that idea. Well, he is encouraging every idea. Naturally. Um, You know, and here we are doing a podcast about him. Right. We are part of the problem. Yes, we're in the Santos economy. That's right. He's on Cameo selling videos. He's making bank. Yes. 
Cameo, for those not familiar, is this platform where celebrities, so-called celebrities, from, I would say, B-list to Z-list, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, hawk their wares. <laughs> yes. And patrons are able to pay whatever market price this celebrity deems acceptable for videos, personalized videos. This can be reality stars. It can be sports stars. And now it can be Santos as well. (laughs) A former disgraced congressman. A former disgraced congressman. You know, since we've been preparing this episode, uh, we've seen his rate on Cameo go to now, currently at this moment, $500 Mm -hmm. videos are flying like hotcakes off the shelves. Yes. If you want George Santos to wish your relatives happy holidays, (laughs) you know, there's there's a chance for you. Exactly. You know, speaking of which, you know, I am looking right now at a TikTok page called Georgie's Cameos. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh Georgie. Which purports to have accumulated all of the cameos, or I guess a good number of the cameos, that Mr. Santos has done. Here's one called George's 500th Pep Talk. Shall we listen? Yes, yeah. please. <laughs> Hey, Emmy and Allison, I just wanted to stop by to give you guys a little encouragement. I know that finals are tough, but hey, it's the end at the light of the tunnel. You girls are going to be awesome rock star lawyers. No diva down nonsense. You girls are going to slay. So look, do me a favor and keeping the queens you are so that you can go conquer the world. Bye. Okay, this is a rich text. Um, worth every penny. Worth every penny. Uh, worth every penny. <laughs> a, f- a few things that occur to me immediately. You know, one, how natural he is at this job. He's absolutely loving He's his so era as a cameo star. He's loving it. Um, it's 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 just the role suits him. He is taking the you know pop culture detritus that has accumulated <laughs> around his person <laughs> and is wearing it like. So many Mardi Gras beads. He is just just parading, parading down the avenue of Cameo, willing to be in drag as himself, George Santos. And and honestly, like, the thing about him is that he just, like, projects well-being. He looks looks great. Like, he's he's wearing a Heather Gray t-shirt. He's wearing his classic, like... Uh, sort of chunky black glasses and his Bob Colicello glasses. His hair is kind of quaffed. First of all, I love the spoonerism. It's the end at the light of the tunnel. Did anybody notice that? <laughs> he didn't say the light at the end of the tunnel. Is that what he said? <laughs> the end at the light of the tunnel. Like he's so good that he's just like dissociating. It's like he's in his like <laughs> he's right. on some like right. Mingus shit. He's right. so good at this. I mean, Vincent, I just, do you think that like you know could this be could some of this glow we saw be um, the delight at the first honest buck he's made in his life? You know, I was very amused <laughs> to see on Cameo that there is a user guarantee. There's a money back guarantee mm-hmm. that if George Santos did not. Does not actually send you a video. Yeah, um, you know, you 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 can get your money back. Would that this have been the case for the people, for instance, who entrusted George Santos to raise money to cure their ailing pets years ago, who saw none of that money, uh, and, <laughs> and and the pets died, and, 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 the, and the pets died. Oh my God, we have to get to this. <laughs> like literally, Jesus. like animal. Murder. Right. So after many different schemes, finally, our culture, as I see it, has enabled the schemer to make good and to to take weaponize every bit of his scheming 
persona. Yeah, I mean, I think I think cameo in general. What I find interesting in general about cameo and why I think. It, it's it's the the site for honest scamming that uh, Santos is primed for is that it combines the sort of air of sincerity, right, or the air of care, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got this queen's like I'm I'm behind <laughs> you a hundred percent. You're gonna rule the world, you know, slay divas. The affect is one of earnestness mm-hmm. and support, but he doesn't know these people. There's nothing to back it up, but that's fine because it's a cameo video. That's the, that's the contract that's happening, right? I mean, and truly, Nomi, that is exactly what a lot of politics is. It is walking into a room and looking 100%. at someone you've never seen before in your life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe you don't refer to them as queen or queens, but you might call them sir or ma'am. <laughs> and you might you might look deep into their eyes, shake them by the hand and try to take them for every penny they've got. Yeah. You yeah. know, people... make friends and influence people. <laughs> yeah. It actually strikes me that cameo is a lot like the practice of what we like. When I worked in politics, it's called call time, which is like literally somebody gives you a piece of paper, tells you all that tells you everything about the person. Yeah. You just cold call them and ask them like it's just like yeah. an hour in every politician's day where they like make calls that like are just sort of fed to them by a staffer. Like that is what cameo is. Some he's like looking at a piece of paper, like right. here's who you're talking to. Diva's got a <laughs> got a final boom 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 boom. Like and you can tell he's done. Like this is like the fiftieth one of these he's done in the day. And it's yeah. Just like, the yeah. structure of it is like. But he life sounds hasn't as, changed that much. as fresh as 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 if it were the first time. Yeah. Yeah, you know? politics is, has perfectly prepared him for this role. I mean, there are there are of course other things in the George Santos IP dum. We've now heard there also is going to be perhaps an HBO adaptation of a new book called The Fabulist by Mark Chuzano. Which I know that you guys have dipped into. Mm-hmm. Would mm-hmm. anyone would anyone care to report back on the fabulist and how you found it? Yeah. So Mark Chisano is a Newsday reporter who began following uh, Santos when he was pursuing his uh, first congressional run back in twenty twenty. Uh, back in twenty twenty. I mean, I mean, I believe he started following in in twenty nineteen. Right. But uh, yeah, that was for the twenty twenty election. But then he just kept going <laughs> and began to gather steam. <laughs> right. And uh, so Chisano uh, was like, oh, this is actually a story that is uh, has uh, kind of more far-reaching consequences and can tell us something not just about Santos proper, but about the culture of, of scamming in a kind of post-Trump, post-Trump America. And so, yeah, so th- this book basically gives us the story of Santos— his various small time and then bigger time scams since uh, his youth in uh, Queens. I thought it was well reported, but it sort of felt like a mountain of details where I was just like, wait, what did he do again? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep it all in your it's head. It's hard to keep it all in your head yeah. to me. Yeah. And maybe part of it is like, you know, and I think I think Giussano says this at one point. It's kind of um, Trumpy in the sense of like there's an exhaustion uh, that happens when you confront someone like Santos because it's like, oh, another lie. Oh, wait, another scam. Yeah. Wait, didn't he do this already? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting formally 
because Chuzano is a fiction writer. Did you notice in his bio that he like wrote a a, a, a book of short stories? So I saw it, that in the bio. I'm not familiar with his fiction. I, I'm not either. Yeah. But it's so interesting to me that this book wants to be something other than what it is. It opens in a call center. You know, there's some attempts at style of like the sound, the way the phones ring, the way they upsell these d- details that it's are kind like, of purple. Yeah, it is kind of purple in places, but yeah. the details aren't given to anybody. There are nobody's sensations, right? They're reported facts. But like what this wants to be and what Santos, the only thing that could contain Santos is like it wants to be like a sort of like nonfiction novel. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think this is important because he has like the classic fiction writers, I think, delusion that this can be located in biography, what he does. That, like, because he was poor or because he wants to be something else, he always talks about, like, oh, he's stressed because of all the scams. He's trying to, like, attribute regular people emotions to this guy who's actually just a sociopath. And it's like, but because he wants to, like, sort of make him a character, he's like, oh, it's because of this insecurity. Did you know he, like, cares so much about people's bodies? You know, he wants to be skinnier. He wants to look better. He gets Botox, da-da-da. Yeah. He gives all this this background in this, like, almost fictional, like, sort of, you know, backstory. And it's, like, exposition. And it's like, no, this guy's a maniac, and he has been since the moment anybody knew him. Right. Which is like, there's no reason. Right. There's no re- he's a He's a monster, that's why. Right, right. Which is... Maybe a little brutal anthropologically, like that, you know, sometimes people just suck. Yeah. But I think that's what's up with George. So what does this all tell us about the kinds of stories people are hungry for? That's in a minute on Critics at Large. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You know, one thing occurs to me, having read the Mark Chuzana book, which is about us, the three of us, and everyone else who I'm including (laughs) in the first person plural pronoun. All of us. Us writ large. Mm. And what draws us to a story like this, um, you know, one point he wants to make is that we kind of get the scammer narrative that we deserve right now. You know, where is the scam taking place? Well, in the case of... George Santos, it's taking place in politics. And Nomi, as you were saying before, the Trump era has opened this. Opened the floodgates. Yeah, opened the floodgates um, into politics as 
an out-and-out scam for those who wish to take advantage. And so, of course, the story fascinates us, um, you know, as a reflection of what we're currently living. So I wanted to ask you guys, you know, how far back can you trace the scammer in American culture? There have been Mm -hmm. all different kinds of scams over the course of this nation's history. (laughs) What are some early scams that you think of when you think of the American scam? Um. Well, you know what? One of my my favorite, and this goes again to fiction. One of my favorites is is fictional, which is uh, Herman Melville's Confidence Man. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a stranger steps onto a Mississippi steamboat, and um, the passengers who are modeled on uh, others of Melville's contemporaries. There's one that's sort of like based on Emerson. There's one that's sort of based on Thoreau. Another. There's a beggar who's based on Edgar Allan Poe, and. Um, all of these minds are like one by one sort of tested by the confidence man and like uh, and uh, made subject to his wiles. You know, the, the sort of the figure of the traveler, you know, yeah. someone who kind of like comes to town, you know, either comes on a boat, as you mentioned in the Melville. It's the same uh, in The Music Man uh, with Harold Hill, a traveling salesman, right. mm-hmm. you know, arrives, uh, says he has a plan for the city. And, uh, you know, my, my favorite, actually, version of The Music Man is the Simpsons episode about the monorail. Uh, what happens? I've never seen that episode. Brian. Uh, you know, a, a traveling salesman <laughs> arrives in town. The name's Lanley, Lyle Lanley. And I come before you good people tonight with an idea. Probably the greatest... Oh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville idea. Now, wait just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. Just tell us your idea and we'll vote for it. All right. And he's like, Springfield should have a monorail. (laughs) 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 Springfield does not need a monorail. But this man, you know, seduces everyone. What I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right. Monorail. 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 (laughs) And then, of course, it's like made out of like old... Parts, you know, it's like the the idea is that people will buy anything if you sell it to them in an attractive enough way. People want to believe, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, whether it's in religion, whether it's in commerce, whether politics. it's in politics, yeah, and yeah, and you know, and you see this the the version of the religious uh, scammer. I I was thinking on the way here. Uh, about 80s televangelists, <laughs> remember? Yeah. Uh, Jim Baker, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, Tammy Faye and uh, Jimmy Swagger, you know, all of these people that were like, if you want your soul saved, you'll send us money. Yeah, you guys are getting at things that I think are key to the flourishing of any successful scam. Um, one is new technology, just like you're describing, mm. Nomi, mm-hmm. with the rise mm-hmm. of televangelists in the 80s, you can reach people in a new way. I mean, I'm sure scams were abounding in the 18th century, but I really think, like you, Vincent, of the mid-19th century is the time when the scam took off, in part because there are all these new technologies, Mm -hmm. you know, even the railroad bustling around the United States that can both take people to new places and also provide new excitements and enticements, and people don't really know how to use them or how they work. And so someone can come along and take advantage of all these things, you know, much like with crypto today, Mm -hmm. technology that, again, promises Mm -hmm. great riches and rewards to a lot of people who don't fully understand it. 
inventions of this kind are bounding in, really in the yeah. 19th yeah. century when capitalism is starting to really take off and mm-hmm. move faster and faster. And also new people. You know, the country is growing so fast in yeah. the 19th century and people are coming from all corners of the earth. They don't have really an understanding of the culture they're stepping into often. Mm-hmm. And so that makes them absolutely ripe for exploitation. So there are two examples of this. Um, Please. I, I see them as roughly the newcomer arriving and taking advantage mm-hmm. yes. and the newcomer being taken advantage of. So like Nomi gave the example, which I also love, of the music man, where Harold Hill enters this very insular Midwestern Iowan community. Mm-hmm. There's actually another 19th century scam that I learned about recently that is so perverse, which I love, where a traveling an, another traveler would arrive at an inn, look depressed while checking into an inn, go to bed, oh, no. then call out for help. Oh. Someone would enter his room. He would point to an empty bottle that said, you know, laudanum on it uh-huh. yeah. and call for a preacher because apparently he had just, you know, he's committed suicide and he's about to uh. – he's about to <laughs> – pass away from uh-huh. from what he's just taken. And then the anxious townspeople would rush in, get his stomach pumped, and then contribute to his essentially the 19th century equivalent of a GoFundMe to get him back on his feet and send him oh to the next gosh. town where he could pull off this scam. So newcomer coming in, taking advantage of the a goodwill of the locals. Yeah. And then in the other category – a classic example is selling the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, where yes. mm. you know that old, that old favorite. You think now, how could this ever have happened? Well, there were so many greenhorns and people stepping right off the boat into the land of opportunity. What did they know? It's the land of opportunity. Here's a bridge, and there's a film <laughs> I love from 1937 um, called Every Day Is a Holiday, which was written by Mae West and stars Mae West as Peaches O'Day, oh Peaches a, O'Day, a scam artist in turn of the 20th century New York, who is selling the Brooklyn Bridge. And there's a scene at the beginning in which Peaches O'Day, glorious Mae West, alights from her carriage at the foot of the Brooklyn Bridge and encounters a German with a very comically thick accent named Fritz, (laughs) to whom she presents a bill of sale for the Brooklyn Bridge for $200. Sold to the gentleman with the mouthful of marbles. And now I am the proprietor of the Brooklyn Bridge. Here's your receipt. I cannot express my joy. I'm all choked up with the bump in my throat. I know just how you feel. Well, goodbye and good luck. I hope you enjoy your bridge. When this one wears out, I'll sell you a new one. (laughs) So, poor Fritz. You know, a classic scam of its time. Um, And, you know, we can trace it all through the 20th century. But today, I would say, I would argue, Mm -hmm. that we're once again in a golden age of scamming stories. You know, there is, as we discussed, even just with the Sanders example, but much broader, there's a really IP fest happening, you know, in movies and TV and books where it might be fictionalized accounts of famous scammers or documentaries about them, you know, clearly nonfiction. Um, I think it's a thing. I mean, do you guys agree? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, there's been a deluge. I mean, um, the fact that there were, for example, there were two bits of IP, one a documentary and one a TV show about uh, Elizabeth Holmes of, of Theranos fame. Together, we're making healthcare accessible to everyone in this country. I don't understand how you're doing this extremely complex chemical engineering with a high school degree. This Who like, had the turtleneck and started talking <laughs> like this because that's what conveys power. Um, there, uh, 
They're, I'm convinced when you do it, Vincent. <laughs> um, I'm going to fund your Silicon Valley, you know, thank biotechnology. You so much. Uh, thank you so much. Venture. I've got a new podcast invention <laughs> that I'd love to do. Um, there, there's a, uh, there were two pieces of content, whatever you want to call them, about the Firefest. Fire Festival was supposed to be uh, the new Coachella, the new Burning Man. Exclusivity with access to premier talent. It was going to be an experience bordering on impossible. What's the worst thing that Kavazka had in? The, dueling, the festival dueling that, documentaries. Dueling documentaries. <laughs> yes. They couldn't, um, they couldn't film them fast enough. One of which um, featured our, our colleague and friend Gia Tolentino. She was a talking head on one of them, and uh, I did like a double take when she showed up on the screen. Um, and then there was like the... I mean, you could go on and on. There's a WeWork. Yeah. Uh, there's the WeWork uh, series on Apple. Yeah, called We Crash. The future of work looks different. We're selling an experience. We. We need a name. There was my favorite, um, the the fictionalized version or the sort of dramatized version of um, Anna Delvey. The fake heiress allegedly scammed her way through thousands of dollars in gourmet meals, luxury hotel rooms, and private jet flights. Sources say she also conned Manhattan's literati. This is the show Inventing Anna. Inventing yes. Anna. Wait, what's, what's her name? Julia Garner. Julia, Julia Garner, Garner, who I love so much. That pot's all lies, you know. I did nothing wrong. This is bullshit. Anna Delvey is a master. Pretends to be an heiress. Pretends uh, to be an heiress. Mm-hmm. Um... Always thinks that she's like just alone away from actually being legit. You know, this is the idea. But she's just again an inveterate, lifelong liar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, tells um, stories about her parents, etc. Vincent, right. I'm putting you on the spot because I know that you were. I, I do remember, if I'm not mistaken, that at the time you had watched every episode of Inventing Anna about Anna Delvey. Yes. You know what is it about a show like that um, that draws us in? That you know people want to watch. What What did you like about it? Well, you know, it in some ways it is the perfect um, text for this because it sort of almost. Within itself, within the text, it dramatizes the IPness of Delvey's story. So the story is really about a journalist who's based on New York Magazine's Jessica Pressler, I believe. Yes. Um, but it shows how someone a, that works at a, a magazine, not unlike ours, although it's based on New York Magazine, mm-hmm. um, is trying to upsell this story further into the cultural firm, firmament. We get one level of... Um, sort of injection of the story into the culture, which is the New York Post. So the tabloids are part of the... the, yes. the there's There's court proceedings, and then there's tabloid journalism, which is mulching it for everyday content. And then the next level up, a magazine journalist wants to do a big piece. You know, and you can see the, the mechanism by which it becomes the show that you are watching. You know, mm-hmm. that like the culture pulls threads of this story up and up uh, and, 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 and turns the scammer crucially, I think, in the Santos case, but also in the case of Delvey, turns the scammer into a celebrity, sort of does the scammer's work for them. Our awareness of the grift on some level helps double down on the grift. So um, I think that text shows the sort of, I don't know, the cultural motion that the story can can kind of achieve. Yeah, I think there's even um, a new uh, Anna Delvey property. Um, she's apparently <laughs> going to start a new reality show called Delvey's Dinner Club Ooh. while she's on house arrest. Yeah, so she's been on house arrest for she, a while now. Um, she, will, she will host actors, musicians, and more in her New York City apartment. Um, you know, if you're going to be on house arrest, turn it into a party, people. You heard that here <laughs> first. So 
who do we empathize with in these stories? The scammer or the scammed? That's in a minute on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Friends, why do we love these stories? They they are everywhere. We can't quit them. Right. We love them. We love them. Why? Why do you think? I think that there is a story that we all hold on to, which is that there is a proximity of like a, a next level of life, right? That like somewhere, you know, yes. we, we are coming to you from uh, – a studio in the sky at at the World Trade Center, and some I, I, and I just know on some floor of this building, not far from where I am, there is there's a, an opportunity that could change my life. That's what man. That's the, that's at least the promise <laughs> of Manhattan, you know. And yes. um, when you hear about the someone, soaring skyscrapers, that's right. That's right. You know? uh, um, and the boxy suits, all of it, and. Um, <laughs> Let and the, the river uh, run. <laughs> the scammer is the one who shows that it that it not only is it true, hearteningly true, it is perilously and dangerously true that um, if only you had fewer scruples, you know, if only you were more energetic in your own sort of promotion, um, something amazing could happen to you before you went to jail. Don't be don't get me wrong. Sure. Um, but that there is a sort of the, the the mobility that is one of the sort of preconditions for believing in the society that we live in um, is is not only real, but it is like vertiginous. So there's something attractive about the scammer that keeps us watching uh, or about certain scammers. Right. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, this is this is I mean, this is kind of a very basic thing to say. But isn't this the promise of the American dream? Right. Mm-hmm. Where you are able to scale these new heights uh, thanks to this mobility. And the mobility almost, it's like it presupposes corner cutting, right? Mm -hmm. It's like this sort of like move fast and break things thing where like in order to, uh, you know, take a bite of the American pie. You have to spill some of the milk, right? <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> or something. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that a real mm-hmm. thing? Pie, milk. Yep. Yeah, something. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. you landed that metaphor. I love yep. it. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's like, you know, in order to climb to the next level, which is what we all want in this country and is the promise of this country, mm-hmm. um, 
it's, it's, it's you you have to be a bit of a rogue, right? <laughs> and the rogue and the scammer aren't so far apart, I think. Yeah, I think there are a few different reasons why we like these kinds of stories. I mean, one, which you guys are getting at a bit, is um, just the narrative excitement of the will they or won't they pull it off. Mm-hmm. And some of it, I think, also is we love to moralize. We do. We mm-hmm. love to, I think, in certain stories, encourage our sympathy with the scammer and certain with the scammed. And so when I think of here, – here's a theory for you guys. Please. Oh, let please. me try to Let me try to unspool a theory. Alex. It may get snagged. It may get very snagged. Lay it on us. All right. So, you know, I am thinking of the – profusion of scammer stories that we've recently seen, the fact that we cannot turn on our televisions without getting hit with another one. And we're clearly in the midst of a genre moment. Mm -hmm. And as I was watching a few of these titles of the past, you know, couple of years or so, it did occur to me that they have something I think in common with the proliferation of noir, film noir Mm. in the 40s and early 50s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is a time which American society is troubled. The war is over, but the war has not been this, I mean, yes, we won, hooray, but people are coming home. They're having difficulties. They're having doubts. Their lives have been broken. In many cases, their bodies have been broken. And so noir is everywhere. These stories of desperate people doing desperate things, driven by passions they can't control to try to make a buck, run away with the married woman of their dreams, whatever it might be, murder the husband, Get away literally with murder. (laughs) Oops. I'm thinking of films. You know, one that comes to mind right away is the classic The Postman Always Rings Twice from 1946. Frank, Frank, listen to me. I'm not what you think I am. I've made a big mistake in my life, and I've got to be this way just once to fix it. They hang you for a thing like that. Oh, but not if you do it right. And you're smart, Frank. You'll think of a way. Plenty of men have. You never did any harm to me. Darling, can't you see how happy you and I would be together here without him? And in these stories, you know, because of code production values, you could not show the protagonist getting away with it. And the idea was, you know, we can't encourage this kind of immorality in our viewers. Let's show people what happens when, um, you know, bad people come to bad ends. But of course, we come around anyway to the sides of these desperate protagonists. We root for them. We want to see them succeed. We want them to enjoy their ill-gotten gains, (laughs) even if we we know that's not going to happen. And I think that kind of instability is at play in the scammer narrative as well. We are rooting. We're behind the person who is doing the scamming. And then there's a totally different side of us that really wants to tisk tisk and enjoys these stories precisely because we do hope people get their comeuppance. There's something operating on both sides. But what the scamming story allows us to do when it's shown, you know, in a in a television serialized format mm-hmm. or in a movie <laughs> format, is enjoy the depths right. of the actual behavior, you know, right. really kind of get down and dirty with everything that came to pass. Um, so, yeah, I think I think something's going on that lets us have our cake and eat it, too, right. where these scammers are concerned. And do you think that, like, you 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 know, you compared noir or you, you situate a noir in a certain moment in American history Right. With the sort of post-war melees and stuff. Do you see uh, the scammer story and the genre of the scammer story in uh, both fictional, non-fictional ways that uh, is, is, is playing out uh, culturally 
uh, in relation to our moment historically as well? Yeah, for me, it's a totally post-2008 phenomenon. I mean, okay. 2008 for me is the moment when the entire culture was was um, shown to be built upon a scam. And mm-hmm. it's no longer just like, ah, oh, the internet bubble or, oh, you invest in a bad house, too bad. We realize that we are all connected, most of us unwittingly, to the scam at the heart of society um, right. and that the ground beneath our feet is not stable. I mean, you know, Madoff is another great contemporary scamming character. Of course, his story has also been mined for right. IP. Yes, of course. And, um, you know, even when we think we're doing things above board, right. so often in the society, we discover that in ways beyond our control, we've just, you know, we're, we've been playing the shell game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and the structure of the scam is there's suffering in its wake, and the ones perpetrating the scam are made whole, right? And uh, I think, you know, 2008, we're speaking of the financial crisis, you know, the the bailouts that quickly ensued showed us the structure of a, of a kind of con. And I think, crucially, what happens with George Santos, the diva down, the jokes, is what we call on the internet irony poisoning, or mm-hmm. as we've called it forever, nihilism. Mm-hmm. You know, once you realize how deep you are in a scam like that and how powerless you are against uh, its forces and its, its sort of velocity— all you can do is kind of laugh as you watch the thing burn. So people are like, yeah. I think it, a precondition for people kind of enjoying Santos is like, well, how is he that different from Marjorie Taylor Greene? Or totally. from people that are on the other side of some, you know, he is only the sort of expressionistic example of something that we think exactly. is at work anyway. Exactly. Right? I mean, I think the obviousness of it is a relief, too, right? Mm-hmm. Because the lies are so flagrant. And the performance is so outrageous and the shamelessness is so galling that there's a release and a relief associated with the blatancy of it. Because so often, I think, when we're talking about larger forces swirling around us um, and the kind of the big scam, (laughs) you know, (laughs) of society, it's not identifiable. So what what occurs to me, guys, is that, you know, these stories are often exposing fundamental societal weaknesses that right. we have, things that really should not be uh, applauded and, in fact, should be rectified, if at all possible. And yet, a lot of them are comedies. A lot of the ways that we see these scammer stories are comedies. You know, the Madoff story is not, to me, that really is a Greek tragedy or Shakespearean tragedy mm-hmm. type story and, and works that have been that have been developed from it take that note, you know, but a lot of the other ones are really kind of fun. So what do you guys make of that? Like, are we all missing the message or is this kind of, is the idea that, you know, we would even moralize from these things so tedious as to be inconceivable? Yeah, I think part of that is just like the way that the structure of storytelling is that you take the sort of uh, big emblematic example. You know, I'm thinking of even the Wolf of Wall Street, the way that it's Mm -hmm. sort of this floridly told and I do think that that amounts to a critique, and it is a yeah, comedy. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, when you take a step away from the exceptional, uh, I'm thinking of a Nat Geo series that I watched called Traffic. It's about various aspects of the global underworld. And one episode was all about scams. I think one of them is around one of these, like, sort of call center farms where, mm-hmm. like, every you know, the calls that we all get on our cell phones from fake numbers that are asking us, that are trying to scam us nonstop. Right. This is not somebody that's going to end up George Santos. It's somebody that's trying to pay their next bill 
by stealing from my from my last bill, totally. from my last check, right? I mean, it's, it's just like every day. Yeah. Some people are just barely, just to, barely getting by. Just to make, to make it, right? I mean, it's the same with the HBO, the recent HBO documentary series, Telemarketers, which is about right. these, like, sorry call centers. Right. Similarly, where people are just working there just in order to sort of, like, live a very sustenance level right. existence. And it has to do, again, like, if if the attraction of the scammer story is the dynamic nature of our society, the the the, the reality is the sort of is instability, that there's mm-hmm. a floor that's crumbling and people are falling and, it you know, desperation becomes the 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 the, the true context for the scam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think critique is possible, but I think you're right that the kind of the level of enjoyment <laughs> that we gain from some of these depictions of scams. It doesn't mean that the critique isn't there or isn't salient, but it also means <sighs> that it's like there's so little to enjoy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in contemporary society that it's almost like we as audiences fully aware of being scammed are also begging please make this fun for us. Oh god, that is so dark. But do you yeah. know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I don't know if this is the only way to look at it. But yeah. I think it's definitely one of the ways. It, I I definitely see it as one of the ways. I just resist it because it is so dark and it does make me think, you know, we are all just part of the yeah. con. Yeah, and it's like I think the thing is, you know, as bad and some of I mean some of the stuff in this book is so bad. George Santos did. There's a there's a whole chapter that's just called And Then Came the Dogs. Oh, oh no. And it's just about it's this, this horrible, this 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 veteran who is like at the end of his rope, he's got P- PTSD. Yes. Um homeless. Homeless. The only happiness in his life is is like the succession of dogs that he's owned. And now he's got this pit bull who is growing what we think is a some sort of like tumor and is recommended to this one of George Santos's fake organizations, this that like puppy rescue thing that he um, started and he raises GoFundMe style a bunch of money to afford a surgery. At this point, the the man is homeless. Um, And George Santos then does what he does, which is like disappear. Pockets the money. Pockets the money, goes away. The tumor creeps growing. The dog dies. You know, it's like... The dog dies. It's just like the most disgusting thing in the world. So there are some really bad things. It's like George Santos is truly a bad person, right? But the reason that I think we go along and and there is this sort of nihilistic fun around it is that the true object of critique is not the individual, but the, but the system in which they flourish. What people are truly mad about is how fucked up the world is. And um, there is not a single person bad enough to eclipse the context. And And so if there is a critique, it's about politics. It's about society. It's about the Republican Party. But um, it's like never enough to stick on the one guy because at least he has figured out a way to expose the the deeper sort of nefariousness of the the swamp from which he emerges. Be that as it may, I just want to implore everyone here and everyone listening that as you continue to enjoy these scammer properties, of which there will certainly be many, remember the dog. Remember the dog. Don't forget the dog. These are not victimless crimes. Remember that sick puppy. Remember that sick puppy. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 
goddamn. This has been Critics at Large. Our senior producer is Rhiannon Corby, and Alex Barish is our consulting editor. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Alexis Quadrado composed our theme music, and we had engineering help today from Gabe Caroga with mixing by Mike Kutchman. You can find every episode of Critics at Large at newyorker.com slash critics. And you can email us at themail at newyorker.com. We would love to hear from you. Just make sure to include critics in the subject line. Your note will get to us faster. Next week, in the midst of all the year-end listen roundups, we are doing our own spin on the year in review. Yeah, our show is 2023, the year of the doll. We'll just leave you with that. See you next week. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs.